Hello, everyone. Welcome to Titty Tattles. This is Sydney and Phoebe joining you from Taipei in London to gossip about movies, pop culture, and social issues from the perspective of two cosmopolitan Asian girls. We met in university and have both studied abroad in the West. This podcast is about having relaxed conversations, debating respectfully the controversial, exploring cultural nuances, and having fun while we do it. So sit back and pour yourself a glass of whiskey, or a martini, or your whole mini bar, while we bring you some prattle with a lot of giggles. So in this episode, we're going to talk about Bridgerton, which has been very popular on Netflix lately. Sydney actually watched it first, and then she liked it a lot and recommended it to me. And from the first episode, it drew me in with the period drama tropes and the beautiful people, and the plot was pretty good as well. Now that we have both watched it to the end, there's a lot to discuss. We need to take a moment to appreciate the Duke because he's just so pretty. I'm, I'm gonna hand <laughs> over right now. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so that's the yeah, main um, point about no, episode today. The Duke, so pretty. Yes, just work the Duke, oh, so pretty. Like even people from like my parents' generation, when I talked about it, they were pretty approving of the Duke. They're like, "Oh, he's so pretty." I'm like, "Yeah, he's pretty, right?" And <laughs> yeah, you would have thought it's more a show for younger people, but I guess they like it too. And when I say elder people, I meant like my people that are my parents' age that are also Asians as well. That. Did not grow up in a Western upbringing, or or so. And when they see a show like Bridgerton, they're also appreciating and marveling at the Duke's beauty. And that is something that the producers should take note that they have an Asian <laughs> audience that really appreciates their work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. And on a less superficial level than the Duke's uh, prettiness, uh, I think they can also relate to the values in Bridgerton because it's a very traditional yeah. setup that kind of mimics how things worked in Asia back in the day. Maybe yes. back when they were very young. True. That is very true. But I'd like to start with why we like this show so much. I know that uh, people have been comparing it to both Jane Austen novels, Jane Austen no- movies, and more specifically, Gossip Girl. Right? I know that that's a show that we both loved. I actually remember, like, the moment I realized how we were both invested in the Gossip Girl narrative was when I think we were gossiping about one of our exes or our like one of our like love love conquests. And then I was telling you something. I don't remember what we were talking, but I was telling you something, and you were telling me that it was disappointing the way I reacted. And then you said Blair would be so disappointed, <laughs> and I was like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah. And then I was also like, man, Phoebe knows her gossip girl. Yeah. <laughs> I love this girl. <laughs> In such moments, think what Blair would do because Blair is the queen. <laughs> Blair. Yeah, like Gossip Girl d- did so well as Richardson because they had the central gossip figure um, that was the authority to gossip and had the power to affect or even manipulate the lives of the people in, in the novel. And I was wondering if in Asia, that same framework would have been applicable. I'm not completely sure about Taiwan, but I'm very interested to hear about your take because like, I'm sensing it's still a little bit different in China, I'm supposing. I don't mm-hmm. think the setup would work in China because mm-hmm. this is a kind of small cultural difference that I think sometimes we don't notice in how we view gossip in the West. Mm-hmm. Um People don't see gossip so negatively. They're like, yeah, tabloids are annoying, Princess Diana, so on, so on. But they still are invested in these uh, gossip columns and they look up to these uh, gossip collectors as Mm -hmm. distributors of news Mm -hmm. and information. But in China and in most of East Asia traditionally, I think gossip has been seen as a very feminine specific sin, something that women do that causes turmoil Mm -hmm. and that can't be allowed. So if it was like in the same period in China, the the empress wouldn't just go along with it and read the gossip columns. She would be like, oh, no, this person Mm -hmm. is doing something horrible and I need to maintain my virtue (laughs) and my authority as queen by putting a stop to it Mm. immediately. Mm -hmm. So I feel like um, in in the Western sense, from what I briefly dabbed on, dabbed in reading, is that I feel like the gossip columns also serve as it offers spectatorship. And it ties in with, like, the obsession for reality shows, whether that's heavily, well, they're all scripted, but, like, whether it's, like, a heavily orchestrated competition, like Project Runway or America's Next Top Model, 
or Keeping Up with the Kardashians or Jersey Shore. Um, there's this thrill that is very much uh, appreciated um, from like the, the Western um, media where they like to see these special people as kind of freaks. Like it's like a freak show on display and they enjoy the sensation, the entertainment that comes with the gossip. So whether you're talking about the queen, the princess or Snooki or Kim Kardashian or Kylie, you know, there is this like sense of excitement that you get. And, and that's, that's applicable to most civilizations that have developed a tabloid culture. But I feel like it's not as strong as in our culture, because when, when, when we are watching like what we call like Zhong Yijin, these like entertainment reality shows, I feel like the sense of spectatorship to watch someone fail isn't that high. We're mostly there to support our idols. We enjoy these um, entertainment figures and we think they're very cute when they're in these competitions. We root for them. But when when we're watching Keeping with the Kardashians, when we're watching Jersey Shore, there's this expectation to see people fail. And I feel like that's also something in Bridgerton because families or people, they're pitting against each other. They're hoping to see someone fail. Kind of. I, I don't know if this observation is accurate, but I feel that there's still that st- difference that you've mentioned between two cultures. And my take is that we, as much as we enjoy watching people fail, we don't enjoy being a whole spectacle. Not in the sense where it's like so commonly like popularized. What do you think? Hmm. I was viewing it from a more warm and fuzzy angle. The purpose of someone like Lady Whistledown in society or Gossip Girl in uh, an American high school because it's aside from it's kind of different from the tabloids and Mm. how they show celebrities because the tabloids Mm -hmm. are showing the gossip to a removed audience that's not part of the in-group but in both Gossip Girl and Bridgerton it's like news within the in-group so it's kind of tying the community together in a time where they didn't have Facebook or social media it was just you know people felt more involved and they had the news on what was (laughs) happening like ancient Facebook well I I'm very glad that you have a very positive take on Gossip Girl (laughs) but the fact that Dan is Gossip Girl there's nothing fuzzy and warm about it like that that guy's vindictive and toxic I did not like that part (laughs) (laughs) like all American TV shows it goes to shit towards the end seasons and then the ending is just a fire well, that's the same thing with that's the same thing with Bridgerton, right? I, I was like, I wasn't pleased to know that Penelope was potentially Lady Whistledown. Yeah, I, like I, Dan again. That doesn't make sense to me at all. The yeah. last episode felt a bit rushed. Mm-hmm. Um, but like back to the to the gossip culture in Asia. What I see in Taiwan is that we definitely have tabloid culture. Um, the most dominant one, I'd say, would be Apple Daily. Um, they're very weird. They're a hybrid between a tabloid and an actual hard news station because they actually, they call things out. They call shit out. They tell the government when they're bullshitting about um, either politics or policies. Um, but they're also heavily responsible for over-sensationalizing news, especially the gossip column. Uh, my experience with Taiwanese gossip is that it gets more heated on our our version of Reddit, which is called PTT and Decart for like the the high school or college version of that. Uh, mm-hmm. I think for us, like it's we're much more distant from it. I feel like because there's so much uh, anonymity, like because people are anonymous and they're all investing, it's kind of like Gossip Girl when she had all these like n- like these like notes and these uh what's that called these yeah, tip-offs. Yeah, tip-offs from um, from her readers. Um, Decard and PPT is like public tipping off. You don't know who said it besides their username. And there's this like beautiful distance. It's not beautiful, it's toxic, I'm sorry. But it's a nice distance for people. <laughs> God. <laughs> it's, it's a nice distance between you and that piece of gossip, but people can feed into that beast. But it, it doesn't feel like we're directly manipulating anyone because people don't feel like their narrative can actually make a difference. So it's a very, it's very different as in like you have a central figure. There's there's no like Lady D card or or like Queen PTT where then she announces something after like going through all these comments and tips, you know, and then she suddenly manipulates some in YouTube celebrity's life. You know, it doesn't work like that. It's always these sub communities where people feed into the gossip and it ends up being trivial. Right, so it's decentralized, and also the anonymity gives people protection. Yes, yes. I just 
I would never, I would never see it becoming any, anything more serious than that. Because like you said, we avoid gossip and uh, we avoid gossip in public. That's what I think. I think gossip in my culture is used as an escape mechanism where people find it very hard to deal with conflict. They don't like confronting issues. And sometimes for gossip is a social lubricant for people to let out some steam. It's never meant to harm anybody. And it's deeply frowned upon if you do. Yeah, so we use gossip more kind of as a way to vent rather than yes. as a yes. weapon, the no, way they yeah. do in Bridgerton. No, yeah, I, th- I think in Bridgerton and Gossip World, it's always like blackmailing. It's always leverage. Um, yeah. And I think, I, I d- also, I don't think that in terms of our history, we've had enough historical cultures or subcultures that encourage that. Because for us, the furthest we've gone in discussing history is either the preaching dynasty period, which not much is popularized in our culture. Um, and then there is a dictatorship area during the CKS rule. And at that time, I would imagine if there was any gossip going on, it meant you would be going to jail because if you were ever, ever trying to bitch about the dictator, that meant jail or disappearing. Disappearing, air quotes. <laughs> it's a dictatorship Spooky. for a reason. <laughs> I don't know. How about, you? how about like the common like period dramas in China? How do they handle gossip in those types of narratives? I think it's always been seen as something negative and something that's not allowed to accrue because gossip in those days can really ruin a person's life. Mm-hmm. It's also a threat towards the monarchy, right? Because I feel like in, in, in Bridgerton, gossip was the monarchy. I don't even think the queen had that much yeah. power over anything. The queen was just kind of there and... Even a pawn in Lady Whistledown's schemes. Mm-hmm. And she but, had to figure out who Lady Whistledown was. There was like, she was in no power at all over anything. Yeah, but in in a general empire, like the Chinese empire, they would want the, the monarchy to have the final say on the narrative. So that sort of sneaky person in the background controlling the narrative can't be allowed unless they're in the back pockets of the monarchy pumping out what they want them to say. I feel like, in a sense, maybe Western culture, in that sense, or Western politics at that point, was probably a lot more democratic than we ever were. It's like, hey, Whistledown still gets a say. The people still kind of get a I say. I know, yeah. The West has had such a more varied and longer history of democracy than we've had. We've just been like, tyranny, tyranny, tyranny. We're still struggling with it even today. <laughs> Yeah, mm. but um, let's stay on the light side. Yes, uh, let's get let's get on to the next question. Bridgerton plays with a the theme of getting a woman to wed for rank and wealth, something we're both very familiar with because of our backgrounds. Um, something that was com- it was something commonly seen in Jane Austen novels. So, mm-hmm. for you, Phoebe, how are marriage rituals in the nineteenth century Regency England relatable to modern Asian dating? Because we all know that marriage has al- always been a an economic transaction in every culture um, sure. in, in, in the beginning of history. And then it wasn't until recent days where it was modernized with the this, this sense of love and romance and emotional compatibility. That's like a very modern thing. But I feel like there must be a reason why this show resonates with so many people. And as an Asian, we're not very, we're not so far away from that era where matchmaking for rank and for prestige is still very yeah. much entrenched. So I want to hear your take on this. Do you yeah, want to still marry at all. <laughs> They certainly do. <laughs> you, you know about these marriage markets in China? No, like, goodness. Old people, they print out like a little marriage ad about their son or daughter. And it's a very demographic information kind of stuff. Like born in such a year, went to this school, does this kind of job, earns so much. And then they go out to these parks what? and they talk to other parents there. And they try to find... A suitable match economically and then they bother their children until they meet them there's so many there's so much disturbing things in that 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 description because a parents still think that they have so much control over our lives and b you said this was in shanghai this is like in 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 like a big city right so yeah yeah in the big cities do they not have like a social media profile that their children have already carefully curated for the sake of being appealing to anybody like I mean, I would like if okay if if I were used to this concept, what would really disturb me is, is my mom actually picking the most flattering angle, or did she just pick something that made 
her 60-year-old eyes or concept of beauty seem modest and presentable. Whereas if I want a guy to see me as like, you know, marriage worthy, I want a bikini shot or something like that. No, in, in the marriage market, I've walked through them. They don't actually include photos. It's just the hard backgrounds, how much you earn, what school you went to, how old you are now. It's just data? Numbers. Data. I don't know if that's better, if it's just data. is it? Does that make it... Does that, like, what, they're just excluding potential lookism in it? Is that something we should praise? Is that something good? No, it's just kind of... They first vet the basic data, and then they look into the pictures. And if the data is really good, the parents would be saying to the girl, you know, he, he has all this. Looks aren't so important for men, right? <laughs> Looks aren't so important. <laughs> I wonder for the I mean, guy if it's the same thing, too. Like, hey, she's a doctor. Doesn't mind. Doesn't matter if she's not your type. Does it matter if you don't want to fuck her? You know she's a doctor. Well, no, they don't get that. They're like, <laughs> okay, she only looks all right, but she's young and she will have nice children. <laughs> nice children. I love the choice of vocabulary. <laughs> you might not want to fuck her, but your children are going to be nice. <laughs> no generic way to say at least. Genetic-wise, your children won't be dumb, and you might be able to generate an income because she's smart. <laughs> well, this conversation is getting a bit depressing in terms of the marriage market, <laughs> but to link it back to Bridgerton, you know, it's I'm still in awe. Like I, you've actually, like I, you've mentioned this, then when we were planning this episode, I'm just, I'm still finding it interesting and also horrifying at the same point. Like, what do what do children do then? What do they do when their parents are like, so I found this match? Do they just, do they just like accept from, it? Or? From what I can tell, most people are annoyed about it because uh -huh. of, you know, the generation gap. Our generation are more forward thinking and independent about it now. But there are still plenty of people who accept it and think that their parents are more experienced in this kind of thing. So they would just go with it. So, so hypothetically, if your parents, if your mom ever say that unintentionally stumbled into like a group of friends who were trading these data um, and she did find a match for you, um, irregardless of your current relationship status, she came up to you and gave you this proposition, like, what, how would you react? I would be like, <laughs> mom, chill out. <laughs> this is crazy. But I, I'm more of an outlier from the general culture uh -huh, mm -hmm. because my, my family has lived in the West for a lot of the time and my parents are also highly educated and uh -huh. they, they don't buy into this general culture so much. It's very economic based and it's more practiced in people who are worried about whether their children will be financially stable. So mm -hmm. I guess... For, for people who are worried their children will be financially stable and for people who have companies and empires, you know, mm -hmm. so they want to make a mm, yes. political business match. I, I find it interesting that you're mentioning like the economic prospect to that because from, I, I personally am also one of the lucky people where my parents definitely don't have this problem. They're very cosmopolitan. At some point, my dad has been trying to convince me not to have children because he's like, it's, you know, the, the environment is shit. You know, they're going to be facing a worse version of global warming. <laughs> Please don't bring more souls to this, like, terrifying universe. Um, and my mom's just, she's, like, very cautious about the responsibilities of marriage. So she's always told me, never think about marriage after you're 30, when you're mature enough to think about committing to a relationship or even children. So that's that's been very pleasant on my side. But I've also had friends that have struggled with these issues, but I never hear the economic prospect for them. It always seems just, like, fundamentally sexist when I hear about it it's always um first of all these are friends who I regard as like you know very smart independent and interesting women who deserve to lead a fruitful and stunning life in, in both relationship or career or personal development but what I hear is that they have mothers who don't appreciate their intellectual achievements who think that getting a degree beyond college is a waste of money and it's a it's a very bad deal for the marriage market um, I've heard mothers where like when the moment they see um, a suitor for their daughter, they don't care if he's rich, good looking or smart. That's not even part of like the list of things that they 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 prioritize. Their first priority is my daughter isn't able 
to find a partner and the ability to find a partner is essential to her value as a woman. And therefore, if any walking thing with a dick is interested in my daughter, I need to assess it and hold on to that opportunity to make sure that I don't fail as a mother for marrying off my children. It's very, very Mrs. Bennett from Jane Austen. It's, it's very disturbing. I've, ha- I've, I've heard stuff like, you know, my friends were complaining about these guys where they're just not good matches and their moms would be like, Oh, but you're not good either. You're not you're not so great yourself. Why don't you consider that? Or the moment they decide that a relationship is serious enough for them to introduce it to the parents, the parents or the mother specifically. It's weird that it's the mother. The mother specifically just pampers the male suitor and, you know, like does all that she can to That's sell off the daughter. It's disgusting sometimes when I hear about that. So like I said, I'm fortunate that that has never been part of my lifestyle, but it's alarming to see the 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 this resemblance of that type of like having to wed your daughter off for a certain reason whether it's economical gain or if it's to save your face or if it's to like reestablish a woman's value in society it's harrowing to actually understand that there's still some resonance to that you know when you watch Bridgerton yeah (laughs) even even in that kind of framework I I would assume that mothers would feel that their daughters are a precious resource not exactly. to be given out to just anyone oh no, no you no. need to pet them no no it's it's the same thing as in like because like because like we i think we briefly talked about in our earlier conversations about the, the eloise trope the lizzie bennett trope like the the woke the intellectual the educated woman who's aware of her intellectual value right in in, in the period mm-hmm. in the regency era and as of today in Taiwan, it's and I'm sure it is in China that it's still common for a woman to be like demeaned by the fact that she's successful, by the fact that she is intellect intellectually advanced. You know, like men are always praised for all their achievements in our culture, and the moment a woman obtains the same achievements, she's then labeled as unvaluable yeah, by the marriage it, market. It becomes threatening to for a man to be uh, her equal because yeah. the, the market narrows. And like, I don't, I I find it like, it would have been so much more empowering if the mothers, thankfully not our mothers, said, I feel sorry for you because now you're going to have a hard time finding a guy that's good enough for you. And I feel sorry that you're going to have to grow through, go through a series of idiots who like to mansplain to you. I mean, that should be a more acceptable conversation as opposed to like, how am I going to wed you off? Like, Really? This is what I, you're worried about? That is part of the mindset, but the, the way they've logic that is if you get too smart and too capable, then men are going to be too much of idiots to you. So just don't get too smart and too capable. Just I, be the, stupid enough so you can fit in. The, the 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 thing is like I don't even know whether we should be we should feel comforted by that rhetoric. Like, are our parents looking out for us because they're like you know happiness doesn't necessarily come from intellectual competitiveness, and if it is intellectual competitiveness, then you're gonna have a hard time finding someone intellectually compatible for you. Then you might not be happy. If they're if at least they were coming from that aspect, but it feels like it, it always feels like it's an embarrassment that their daughter is too smart to find a guy that finds her attractive because of her intellect intellect yeah and then (laughs) in Bridgerton it seems that they just completely don't consider that a characteristic that's yeah um an asset at all like with Eloise and Penelope their mothers just brush them off in their intellectual pursuits yeah and and a key key thing to this conversation that it's always the mother that does the dismissal which is it's troubling for me but what I would what I do like about Bridgerton is like I feel like I mean it's it's questionable that Daphne's like almost the only like conventionally stunningly beautiful woman in that series if you look at all of the people like the 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 characters of choice the casting these women aren't ugly it's just that Daphne is like ridiculously pretty in in a conventional sense and it kind yeah, of yeah, but the it, story required that Daphne be the prettiest yeah, girl yeah, in which, the room, which, so they which, had to make that yeah, show. Yeah, which is fine. It's just that I, what I like about um, Daphne's storyline is that the Duke didn't just like her because she was like the gem of like you know the crowd. It was also yeah. because she was shrewd because she had an opinion, and I think that was a very good take to that. I just feel bad that um, 
like I know that the storyline said that she had to be the prettiest one in the room, but why couldn't someone like Eloise or Penelope be like you know equally valued for like their intellect? Because I don't think that Daphne's smarter than them. I feel like Eloise and Penelope were even are even as shrewd as their sister or you know Daphne. Yeah, I think they're just smart in different ways, and、mm-hmm. I'm hoping that in season two, as Eloise is coming. Out into society, there will be、mm-hmm. more of a focus on her story,、mm-hmm. and that she will get that happy ending that we're hoping for as a girl who doesn't fit so much into society's conventional idea of what the perfect girl is.、Mm-hmm. I definitely agree with that. But let's move on to the next question because we still have to keep this very Asian focused. And、um, yeah, I wanted to ask you a more serious question related to Asians and race on Bridgerton. Um, before we dive into more juicy stuff,、uh, a lot of people actually have complained about the lack of Asian representation in Bridgerton, and I know that the show tried to justify like the diverse, the the type of very idealized diversity、um, that they featured with you know the Duke being black, with his like mother being black, and the Queen being black, so and so,、um, and it seems like as if Asians didn't even exist in the Regency period, which I do know is not entirely true. So I would like to ask. How? What is your reaction towards the lack of Asian representation in a show like Bridgerton, who claims to be the diverse, who claims to be relatively woke and more inclusive? Yeah, well,、um, I feel like there's no pressure that you have to represent all ethnicities in a show. Like it doesn't have to be part of every show. But since Bridgerton, one of the selling points for them is that they're showing a period drama that's kind of reimagined with black people、mm-hmm. in a position in society that. They probably didn't have in history, drawing from the、mm-hmm. idea of the、uh, mixed race Queen Charlotte, right? So,、mm-hmm. I I think it's great that they've made that part of the story, and it's really、mm-hmm. I think it works for for Bridgerton, and also the fact that they're not making it a focus of the plot and just having it as part of the background. But since they're already doing this diversity thing, I think it could make it really more interesting if they introduced some Asian characters, because at that time. There、mm-hmm. was starting to be a, a lot more interaction between the East and the West, and the European royalty were, I think, very obsessed with Asian culture. You know, tea and Chinese vases,、mm-hmm, that kind、mm-hmm, of stuff.、Mm-hmm. So it、mm-hmm. could be an interesting plot point in the next season if they introduce, like, maybe a Chinese governess or a、mm-hmm. Chinese scholar, a Chinese businessman. Sorry, it doesn't have to be Chinese, but maybe some、mm-hmm. other、uh, Asian、mm-hmm. Asian ethnicity as well. That can be part of a story <laughs> and introduce some Asian elements. What do you think?、Mm-hmm. Especially when you mentioned tea, because like tea was such tea has become such a staple like element and, and symbolism in in British culture. Like、um, whether it is tea for like the working class, you know, having that like big pot of、Cuppa. like heavily brewed tea, yeah, a cup of tea. Or the high culture, where like you know the hostess was supposed to know all the intricate de-、uh, details to like tea culture and serve,、um, serve the men in the family when they were talking about politics and how tea was like such a essential social lubricant and and、uh, and a a symbolism of status and and education and culture、um, in Britain and, and the fact that that was all basically adapted from what Eastern culture from China from Japan,、mm-hmm. right? And the fact that they Um, spent so much time trading with China and Japan, and and they had this their own version of sort of yellow fever, where it was not only just the vases and tea, it was also the paintings, the architecture, the 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 delicate jewelries, and every the decoration. They had rooms dedicated. You know, I'm not sure if it's entirely the Regency era, but eventually they developed this obsession for Eastern culture, and then at the same time, like. In terms of fashion, like the type of fabric that they used was manufactured in places like India. You know, like the Asian culture has been so prominent in the development of like you know the the British cultural and historical arc, and I'm just surprised that it didn't cross their mind to at least include one main eight like Asian character that that served、um, critical and part of the plot points. Like, wouldn't it have been interesting if they had like this. Either Asian scholar or governess who was introducing tea culture, or who was like a a vintage collector where people went to deals for stuff for their little Asian obsessions, and that that special mysterious you know fetishized Asian. I mean, I'm not saying fetishized is a good thing, but like if they wanted to make it more entertaining, I suppose 
that would have been a selling point. And I point. guess it would have been fetishized back in that day. And yeah, it would have been fetishized back in that day. And why didn't they just include that element? It would have been so much more interesting. Um, there would have been so much more nuance and layer added to the plot points, out to edit to like the gossip, the, the the drama of that show. And I'm just slightly disappointed because, you know, Asians contribute a lot to society today, whether it's the model minority type of Asian or the working class type of Asian. There is so much stuff that we bring to the global culture. And it's just... a I mean, I really do applaud Bridgerton and Shonda Rhimes for taking that big leap, a big step to normalize, you know, um, Black people being rep- represented in television, Black people being in, in, in positions of power in, in, in fiction and in TV. But mm-hmm. what about Asians? Like, just because we don't go on the streets and fight for it, it doesn't mean that we don't deserve a place. And it would have been much more, I'd say, heartwarming. It would have been nice, pleasurable to see some representation. That's my take. And it just occurred me to, to me that Bridgerton is set in, I think, around 1813. So mm-hmm. that's very close to the lead up to the Opium War. Yeah. So if you wanted to add a bit of complexity to uh, the storyline and the plot, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that that area of politics would have been very interesting. It would have been very interesting. Yeah. Okay, Phoebe, are you ready when we move on to the more juicy parts of the conversation? <laughs> because I'm going to talk to you about how the male characters or the sex scenes appeal to us as Asians. Mm. <laughs> mm, the mm. sex scenes. They took me by surprise. <laughs> Maybe I've been, I've been sheltered in terms of the TV I've been watching, but I haven't really watched anything else that shows uh, such explicit soft porn, and I was not expecting it. I was like, what? I was just... <laughs> They're supposed to take <laughs> off their clothes and then you cut to the next morning with them lying in bed with the sheets up, right? Especially since it's a period show. Please don't be offended, but I do find you a very innocent victim of romantic comedies where they just cut out the best part <laughs> of romance, just the sex scenes. <laughs> but um, I'm actually very surprised by your statement um, based on what I know of you because like, when we were um, having these girl talks, it always occurred to me that you were a lot more mature than I was. So I was like slightly, I was surprised when you said that this was considered a little bit like, um, you were surprised by the amount of uh, skin and action that they revealed in Bridgerton. Whereas to me, because you, like we use the word soft porn, right? So it's soft. It's like, it's, eh, it's like, yeah, vanilla. It's cute. Lovely. I like Daphne. Naked. I think Oops. maybe <laughs> it has something to do with uh, being Chinese and in China we don't show mm. any kind of television or media with sex in it so I'm not used to seeing it they cut out the cleavage if there's too much of it showing in the tv show ah, and I, I thought that I'd grown past my conservative Asian upbringing and become totally comfortable mm. with sex between consenting adults mm-hmm. but um it, it surprised me as well that the sex scenes kind of made me a little bit uncomfortable I was like looking to an invisible audience next to me like can you see this they're trying to show sex in a normal video <laughs> show <laughs> wow so i'm assuming you completely missed the uh, lust caution train when ang lee um did this movie adaptation of um zhang ailing's novel not a novel was probably not novel jeez i can't speak <laughs> when they did zhang ailing's um yeah a, a film adaptation of zhang ailing's um short novella or novel lust caution no i haven't seen that i suppose because it's too racy it wouldn't have shown in yeah it makes sense because i remember tang wei the uh, leading actress in that film she was banned from chinese entertainment for like two to three years and she took that time to get a master's degree in london yeah right oh yeah i remember that news I, i didn't know about the movie that she was banned for but i heard about it Wow, you completely missed all the BDSM violent sex scenes. Oh, Lost Caution, right. I, I know it in Chinese, the Chinese Se-jie. name. But yeah. Se-jie, right. Uh-huh. I haven't watched it, but I have heard of it. It's very famous. You should. Just say. <laughs> yeah, but then I'll be but... freaked out by all the sex again. <laughs> it takes practice. I'll be like but... fluttering my petticoats. Mm. I have a question, since this is still like a very female-oriented show. So when you were when you were watching the sex scenes, were you more interested in like like observing the female parts of it or the male parts of it? Huh. Um I think it 
alarmed me more to see the representation of female sexuality that mm. they were showing Daphne exploring her body mm. because it is quite revolutionary, isn't it? Yeah, Even yeah, yeah. in the previous movies that yeah. show sex scenes, then they're just kind of, you know, doing a more understated version of what they do in porn. But because yeah, Bridgerton like, is such a female-focused uh-huh. show. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, and the conversation between Daphne and the Duke when he yes. told her about orgasms. Yes. It, it was oh, so great to see goodness. that on the screen. Yes, and I, I love that part that she called out the fact that her mother never had that conversation with it because that is very relatable. I don't know if yeah. that, that's relatable to American culture because they have that, like, you know, um, Puritanism going on. Like, yeah, they have the whole Mayflower thing going on. I doubt many American I, parents tell their children about orgasms. Either. Yeah, but I do. I, but that's a, also, like, a staple in, in Asian culture is that the parents never had that conversation. And you just end up having to figure <laughs> yeah. it out on your own. Do you know how underinformed people are in our culture? Like, I've heard stories from other friends where, like, I've I've had friends that are nurses, and they're like, they are surprised by how little people know about sex ed, and that's why there are so many like pregnancies that occur before two people are ready to commit to a marriage or a, yeah. a relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a thing I think that resonates with all cultures. Like, parents are just having a very hard time <laughs> explaining how they brought children. <laughs> to the world i know that juxtaposition Uh, that they show in bridgerton is so funny that the girls have no idea how sex happens and they think it happens by love or people get married and it just happened and then the boys are out there fucking prostitutes i wonder how the boys started fucking prostitutes like who told them that that was what you were supposed to probably their fathers tell them about it because there would have been this idea that boys have to be boys and they need to learn about how things work whereas Mm -hmm. the girls have to stay stay chaste and innocent until their wedding day so to all the mothers out there whether you are still in the mindset of the regency period or you're a conservative parent please know that if you're a mother it is your responsibility to make sure that your daughter has protected protected sex and that she is as responsible as her male counterpart in terms of contraception and you know being safe yeah i think that's the basic and we're making a lot of progress on that now but the the idea shown in bridgerton that uh, the idea of a female orgasm and pleasure during sex i think a lot of people are still not informed and aware of that which is really sad it is. I, I mean, there's a lot of... that only like, uh-huh. sorry, I read somewhere only like, I don't know, 10% of females in the world have ever had an orgasm. Maybe I'm totally That's making sad. up the t- statistic, but a very small proportion of women in the world have had an orgasm. Isn't that crazy? I think, I think that statistic, is, it's more cor- correlated to like females are, have a hard time having orgasms when they're having sexual intercourse because I think vaginal orgasms are s- significantly different from clitoral orgasms like I've for me it's like always easier to experience a clitoral one whereas like the vaginal one it takes technique it takes built it takes the atmosphere it takes a build-up it's much more easily achieved with a vibrator but even that takes time (laughs) yeah this is getting very technical we need a whole other episode on just this (laughs) but yeah but back to the question for me it was actually more entertaining when I say entertaining I, I don't mean to like trivialize it I mean like it was much more pleasurable to watch Daphne side of the um of the sex scenes because like she was exploring herself she was enjoying it as much as the Duke seemed very appealing to a female audience I found the part where Daphne was enjoying it much more interesting to look at yeah I think that's the appeal of the show that it's so very tailored to the female (laughs) viewer all right, next question. One of the things that made Bridgerton appeal was that it was such a hard, like, harsh, like, transitions. Like, we talked a lot about sex, but let's move on to the next question before we get into, like, pornographic details. But anyways, what mm-hmm. I was trying to say was that um, the appeal of the show was that it was made for women um, and by women. And the romance and the cinematography was beautiful. It was very female, aesthetic-oriented. And it's mainly focusing on female characters. But... In terms of feminist interpretation, what were things that worked for you and what were things that didn't? I guess that still ties in with our, like, discussion of sex. Yeah, we're yeah. talking about, like, you know, how it sexually worked for women. Now, in terms of, like, the narrative, the rhetoric, the content, how did it work for you? Definitely. I, I think Bridgerton um, aimed at their female audience in all areas in that mm-hmm. it had the focus on female characters and their mm-hmm. plot development, their character development, their mm-hmm. sexuality. 
And there mm-hmm. were also moments in there that just made me go, yes, you go, girl. Because mm-hmm. like in conventional mainstream TV shows, those are the moments that would be pissing me off. Like, you know, when mm-hmm. uh, the brother of Daphne, what's his name? The Viscount, he went to... Uh, Anthony? He went to see his uh-huh. mistress. Yeah, Anthony. And um, mm-hmm. he, he had mm-hmm. been kind of a fuckboy with her and he valued his family and his <laughs> position in society over her. But then he missed her. So he went back and he wanted to start the relationship again. And I think that in most conventional TV shows, she would just cave to that or at least, you know, kind of yeah. put up a bit of a fight and then cave to it. And then there mm-hmm. would be a passionate makeup session. But in that one, she really mm-hmm. considered what was best for her. She was like, you are never going to value yeah. me most out of what is in your life. I cannot handle this anymore. You're cool, but I have to, mm-hmm. you know, look after me first. And I was like, yes, yes, finally somebody saying think it's this. Very, a like, female character standing up for herself. Yes. And I, I love the fact that they chose to focus on the narrative of a, of a sex worker. Because it, it strikes me as very, like, post-third wave, fourth wave feminist type of interpretation because in so many aspects of feminism the idea of like being comfortable with their sexuality be being okay being a sexual worker is so often discriminated and and it's always been stigmatized you know the idea of enjoying sex or making a career out of sex and and to feature a sex worker that's female that prioritized her career and her personal feelings and did not succumb or cave in to the fact that even in Regency England she was still at the lower end of the power hierarchy you know the, the fact that she was able to like you said to stand up for herself and for yeah. her professional development and her emotional and, and personal development was something very empowering to see as a woman because I know the um the, narr- the 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 discourse or the discussion of whether prostitution should either be legalized or how or what type of types of attitudes that we take towards prostitution or female sexual workers it's very complicated there are definitely women who don't who weren't who were kind of forced into this job there are definitely women who also enjoy this and I feel like as of today it still disturbs me that we're still wondering whether it should be legalized or not that we're still blaming women or we're still stigmatizing women for taking on a profession where it's mainly still kind of to serve the needs of not just men, anybody for any politically incorrect or correct reason that they need this type of service. And women are taking the hit for all these factors and reasons. And to see a show like this, to make it an, a very empowering moment is just, it's refreshing, it's enlightening. It's just, it's, it's such a pleasure to watch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. But yeah. I think there are also moments where they try to push the feminism in there that didn't work for me. How so? Like, you remember uh, several times Daphne had conversations with Anthony because he was being an absolute idiot of a man mm-hmm. and just kind of like controlling her life with no idea mm-hmm. of what it was like mm-hmm. to be a woman. And mm-hmm. she kind of included this in her criticism of him many times about his male ego and I, mm-hmm. I feel like that's not something that girls in that day of day and age would have said so much, but maybe that's just me. Mm-hmm. I feel, but I also know that we both take a very different take on how feminism is manifested in both our personal lives and how we react to it, right? Because, like, sure. I feel like between the both of us, I'm like, I'm more, I'm relatively more like the angry feminist, which is like constantly offended and annoyed by mainstreaming. <laughs> and I have like this very sensitive radar towards misogyny, and I, I call it out. And I also know that you've always emphasized that like a more calm and rational and more empathetic conversation is relatively more effective in terms of like convincing or sharing your ideas. And which is why when Daphne says it in my perspective, it's like, yeah, you're being such an irresponsible brother. You have no idea what you're doing and you're trying to tell everybody how to do it. He can, you is, just, like, yeah. can you like just like grow up and like let the women handle it? Because clearly you are not prepared for this position because you just went from fuck boy to I think I'm trying to get a sense of adulthood because my dad just died you know I know (laughs) I I totally agreed with what Daphne was seeing but was saying but I felt like those words would have been weird in the mouth of um 18th century sorry 19th century yeah um, I I, I, debutante girl (laughs) 
Well, I think, but that's also like what's interesting about the show. It's like it's telling you that women, even in a very conservative, dated, periodic society, that they still had independent minds. Like Jane Austen was very much a very vivid character and a real person at that time, and she managed to write Pride and Prejudice. She managed to become one of the most memorable, um, sorry, memorable literary figures of time. Mm-hmm. So I guess like it, it's it's at the same time maybe a very real and three dimensional representation, but at the same time because we're we're so much used to a 19th century debutante girl being all timid and all Victorian, like angel in the house type of person that yeah. it strikes and us on as... On the whole, Daphne is kind of a feminist, even though she wants the sort of life that's conventional in that time. And the show shows a lot of these heartwarming women helping women moments, like mm-hmm. uh, Daphne with uh, Marina. Mm-hmm, and I mm-hmm. think Lady Whistledown, the... Mm-hmm. What was her name? The, the one pretending to be French, and the mistress. I, I can't. I can't. Remember they helped her each name, other a lot. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I know. Uh, I, I thought what what I would like to draw attention to, since we're like talking about Asian perspective in this con in this um, podcast, is that mm-hmm. do you think we experience these things as Asian women today? Like the, the the type of feminism that is professed in this show. Do you think? that it is emphasized enough or shown overtly enough in our cultures? I think it's not. I yeah. I, can't Im- I can't even think of a show set in the modern day that mm-hmm. puts such an emphasis on feminism mm-hmm. and female power. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I, would, I would disagree. I just recently watched one, and I, maybe it's because we haven't talked about it. Uh, mm-hmm. It's called like Sanshuri. Oh yeah, I've heard about that one. Yeah, it's yeah. been quite popular lately. It's, it's been popular, and I just recently watched it, and it does. It's a, it's a it's a Chinese production from China. Yeah, I know. And I, although there are a lot of concepts where I resonated as a nation, but found problematic as a feminist, um, the female friendships displayed in that film was very heartwarming. It was very contemporary, in my opinion, very mm-hmm. progressive. But it was so refreshing precisely because of what you just said i don't think in our culture sisterhood is as emphasized as it is in in western cultures like the idea of sisterhood is very subtle it's complicated it's often closeted actually like girls we spend time together we gossip a lot there's a lot of competitiveness going on it's never directly addressed what type of competitiveness goes on and it's never directly addressed what type of sisterhood that we're supposed to strive for? To strive for. Yeah, so I, I think this the sort of show that shows that kind of deep and supporting relationship between women are mm-hmm. very inspiring to young people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, so it's been almost an hour as at this point. Yeah. And so I think we should probably try to close up this discussion in case we bore everybody to sleep. Um, here's my last question. Um, so why do you think um for Daphne's point like for for the Daphne's character not why do you think do you think that Daphne um would survive in Asian high school do you think we would like her given our experiences in Asian high schools and is she an appealing female lead to your ordinary Asian I, girl? I feel like she's kind of a green tea bitch sort of girl <laughs> She's the really... sort of girl other girls wouldn't like because she's too perfect. Yeah, yeah. I think if for for my personal experience, someone that had the mindset of Daphne was never equated to that exquisite type of beauty that that Daphne as the actress and as the character um, represents. Mm-hmm. I've I've met girls like Daphne, but they were attractive in an intellectual way, but they were never conventionally hot. The conventionally attractive girls were always unfortunately associated with coldness, slight bitchiness, um, their aloofness even sometimes, or they were very competitive. And if I they weren't so beautiful as Daphne, that beauty would kind of be her detriment in making friendships with other girls because yeah. they assume things of her before knowing that she's actually pretty nice. Yeah, because I don't, I don't think, because I think, I think the type of beauty that we find acceptable with like academic achievements and intellect, which is the the type of values that we emphasize on in 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 um, our early education, uh, 
Daphne is too pretty. Like, you know, like there's this movie called The Girls That We we went after uh-huh. i don't know yeah, the yeah the, there's it. there's a sanjayi like trope like the nice girl that's pretty but she's like the girl, the girl next, door, next type. door yeah she's the girl next door but daphne is like she's royalty type of pretty she's like unattainable she's distant flawless my dear yeah, yeah and that that type of girl would have not she would have no friends <laughs> She would have no <laughs> she friends. Would have no friends. Yeah, and to have her intellect, you would, you, yeah, you, you could not be that pretty. I think Asian women are often pitted against each other in terms of how attractive you are, and attractiveness is also, it's, I don't know, it's probably very misogynistic. I feel like pretty girls are are given much more shit about being pretty because it's always associated with a hint of sexuality, depending what type of pretty you are. Well, you can't win, can you? You have problems being <laughs> unattractive. You have problems being average. You have problems mm-hmm. being pretty. Yeah. What I like, though, is that today, the conversation that I get from girls is that women are constantly praising beautiful women as of today. Yeah. But when I was in high school, I don't think anybody was mature or aware enough about the type of toxic competitiveness that we were experiencing as kids. I think women uh, appreciate other beautiful women a lot more than men appreciate beautiful men. <laughs> or appreciate beautiful women. I think when women talk about beautiful women, we, we talk about it with earnesty, with detail, with dedication. And, and we, we revere these women in a sense yeah, where like, we respect them. And there's something them. pure in our feelings. We're not sexualizing them. We're just like, wow, look at those cheeks. Or even if we are seeing, we, we are potentially sexualizing them because I've known that women are potentially more sexually fluid than men. We're not objectifying their sexuality. We're genuinely like professing the type of attractiveness that we find so alluring and so worthy of praise and respect when we talk. Yeah, about I know it. what you mean. <laughs> well, that was fun. <laughs> yep. On that so- note. On that note, this is probably the end of the podcast. We had so much fun talking about Bridgerton. And I believe that next time we're supposed to wrap up on Gilmore Girls because Phoebe did actually finish the whole series. And she has a lot to say, don't you? (laughs) I have a lot to say. Oh, boy. (laughs) And I can't wait to plan the next episode. So we will see you guys soon. Thank you for listening and stay tuned. All right. Until next time. This is Titty Tattles. This is Titty Tattles. Bye.